Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. The past few years have only served to highlight what allowing Westminster to make choices for us is like. So let's make the choices we want for our families and our communities right here in Scotland. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP. Now let's find out who's joining me on Scotland's Choice today. My name is David Linden and I'm the SNP MP for Glasgow East and the party's working pension spokesperson here at Westminster. And I think we were saying you wanted to have something interesting about me. The last <laughs> year or so, I have become an avid collector of Hornby trains. Um, so I, I have it in the auspices of my six-year-old son, but it's actually me that's really into it. He's just, a, he's just a prop. And who else do we have? Hi, I'm Jen Layden. I'm a councillor for the Carlton Ward in Glasgow. Um, I'm also the city convener for community empowerment, equality, and human rights. Um, I suppose keeping on with a bit of a, a theme there, um, I'm an avid cross-stitch fan and currently doing a Star Wars cross-stitch. There we have, folks. It's the hobby version of the Scotland's <laughs> Choice uh, podcast today. Uh, well, probably a good question to ask just now is you, you've both obviously been motivated to get into politics. So, uh, starting with you, Jen, what initially got you into politics and how did you come to be part of the independence movement? Um, I mean, I've been interested in politics from a, a very young age, like, you know, many people um, have been being brought up during the Thatcher era, um, you know, and, and, you know, really experiencing uh, some of those policies, um, you know, in my own life. But it wasn't really till um, 2014 in which I became actively involved in politics. Um, so I voted for independence um, and happily so was uh, bouncing along Shepston Road, feeling very proud of myself. Um, and then just when we lost the referendum, I was absolutely heartbroken and immediately joined um, the SNP and become, became heavily involved um, following all from that, you know, working hard as a, an organiser and election agent um, and then finally becoming elected myself to Glasgow City Council. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been a, a real journey for myself um, and, and has made me more resolute, um, you know, particularly through my work and how independence um, is the best thing for our communities um, in Glasgow and across Scotland. And David, what was your uh, your path to getting involved? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be fair to say that I was a pretty unusual child. I mean, I joined the SSP when I was living, <laughs> I was 31. Um, <laughs> But I think it's really important to say that, you know, when I got involved in the SNP, it was, it was certainly not a career choice. Um, you know, the seat that I now hold for the party, we took 18% of the vote in, in 2001. So for me, it, it was this fundamental belief that, you know, Scotland was a nation, nations would be best served if they governed themselves. And part of it as well is, I mean, I'm, I'm essentially a child of devolution. So I, you know, it's interesting listening to Jen there talking about more Thatcher. I mean, I have no recollection of Thatcher at all. You know, I think I was born uh, six months before Thatcher admitted office. But I, I remember certainly even at you know, 11 thinking, well, if Scotland can control my kind of school and, you know, my nana's hospital and all that kind of stuff, why are we not getting a say on what happens in Afghanistan? Um, and, and it was certainly probably as I went through my teenage years that I get even more politicised. And I always say that politics is a wee bit like quicksand, the more you kind of fight it, the more you get sucked into it. And, and that's probably how I ended up being in this position here in 2022. But 
yeah, it, it was never a, it was never a career choice for me. It was it was something that I kind of fell into. But it's you know it's, it's the best job in the world. It, it is interesting hearing people you know both refer to it. you and I, Jim, would obviously um, refer to Thatcher. It's interesting hearing people who didn't live through that uh, talking about uh, the fact that they've heard about Thatcher but didn't really kind of know the impact. And and I think now we're going through one of those cycles in time where things are repeating themselves when people are becoming. Uh, you know, uh, very, very important in the political situation just now, particularly over the subject that we are talking about today, which is the cost of living, because the last time that uh, things were really this kind of critical for people in the households was probably during the Thatcher yeah. years. It, maybe that, that, that'll that take us into our, our topic today. It, obviously, the, the cost of living crisis has, you know, an effect globally. There, there are lots of things that are causing price rises uh, across the piece, but there are specific factors um, attributing to price rises in the UK. While other countries' wages are keeping up and UK wages are, uh, in real terms, lower in, uh, lower in 2022 than they are were in 2008. What steps do you feel, David, that an independent Scotland could take uh, if it was going to lessen the impact? Just well, I, mean, I, think, I think there's a number of things, Jamie. Firstly, we've got to deal with the issues of, of poor wages. Um, I mean, the idea that, that you know people you know choose to, to receive unemployment benefit um, is it, not actually the case. Actually, what you find is far too often that the levels of pay in this country, particularly on national minimum wage, bear in mind that is reserved mm -hmm. to, to, to the UK government here in London. Um, you know, it's pitiful levels of pay. We don't have, for example, the UK government pushing forward with a real living wage as mandated the Living Wage Foundation. Um, and so the, there's that other thing. So there's also a huge element of pay inequality that's baked into the system for young people. You know, if you're under 25, you're not subject to the same same level of wages. Actually, when you go to the, you know, the Asda and Park, uh, the internets, and you, you fill up your fuel, you don't need your fuel any cheaper because you're under 25. So there's a lot of stuff that we need to do there. There are things as well that I think we need to do. I mean, the, the statutory sick pay in the UK is, is woefully inadequate. Mm -hmm. So we end up in a situation, particularly during the, the height of the coronavirus pandemic, where workers were essentially having to choose between whether or not they adhered to important public health measures, maybe not the Prime Minister's strongest suit, I think we would all accept, or indeed, you know, this issue of getting a, a hit in their, their, their pay. Um, so there are many things that those levers that I, I would like to see is pull. Um, but we can only do that for independent. There are, again, examples where, you know, the Scottish government has the power to do so, mandate people to pay mm. the living wage, particularly as part of the, the government's business pledge. But far too often with Westminster, there's just a, a real lack of a, a willingness to, to act and bring about pay equality mm. and make sure that people get a fair day's pay. And, and Jen, these are, these are, as we've just heard, tough times for, for people in terms of prices going up. It's not... Uh, getting easier. We've already seen, you know, the inflation go above five, six percent now. So tip to go higher. Uh, it, it's not going to get any easier. And, and at the same time, we've got a UK government who think it's okay not only to introduce national insurance rises coming soon, but actually to cut universal credit at a time when people are facing these tough times. What what do you think would be a uh, would be different if we were independent in terms of how we're looking at treating people in these circumstances? Well, I, I mean, I, I think the, the, there is a, a number of things around about that. I mean, it is really, it's a political choice uh, that the UK government are making. Um, and, you know, I know certainly from our own perspective in, in Glasgow City Council, where we have just set and approved our budget, we have made the political choice to mitigate some of those, um, you know, some of those um, issues that are coming through for, for communities to try and provide some of that safety net for people. 
um, this is about, as I'm saying, a political choice. It's between heating and eating. How can how can we support people in our community? So for you know, for example, um, you know, supporting people with financial inclusion. So one of the things that we have done in Glasgow City Council and the Scottish Government are doing the the exact same thing. Um, is you know putting three million pounds in to support our citizens and low-income families and mm. um, disabled people and, and really taking that that equalities approach um, to supporting people who are within our communities and who we know are going to be the hardest hit by all of this. I think there's also a point that I mean James right especially to talk about you know people with disabilities I mean one of the problems that we've seen is not only did the UK government and cut that £20 uplift to universal credit, representing the biggest cut to Social Security since the formation of the modern welfare state. But I think a lot of people forget that the two and a half million people in the UK who have a disability didn't even get the £20 uplift in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's been subject to court action recently. So, it's, you know, it's good that you've got you know, local authorities that are XMP-led, people, you know, Jen Layden in there who are working really hard to try and, you know, protect people with a disability. I guess it comes back to that question is, should local government and should indeed national government in Scotland be, you know, a, a sticking plaster for bad decisions that are taking here that affect people with disabilities? Mm-hmm. And, and, of, and of course, you know, you are both representing a city situation in, in rural parts of Scotland just now. There's an even worse situation for people. You know, I, I took a 10 minute rule bill to Parliament uh, highlighting the problems for people that live off the gas grid. You know, and, and you were talking about filling up your car, you know, and, and seeing the, the petrol price that's now shooting uh, up pound fifty and above, and it's probably going to go a lot higher given the international situation just now. You know, a lot of these households are uh, suffering uh, even more. Given we produce the lion's share of oil and gas and renewable energy in the UK, um, you know, what, what would be different if we had uh, control over those issues, you, you think, here in Scotland? Well, I think... One of the first things would be that, you know, we've seen successive Westminster governments of, of whatever colour, um, you know, not, you know, appropriately kind of steward those resources. Mm. Um, so you look at some of these countries, like, you know, some of the Scandinavian countries that have got sovereign oil uh, funds, and they've been able to invest in that kind of thing. So that when you do come across tough times that they're at at the moment, I mean, I think I'd be surprised mm. if we, you know, if we peak at 7%, I think it's probably going to be closer to the 8%. And you're right, you know, in, in, in mm. rural constituencies or yours, Energy, you know, mm-hmm. bins are going to be a huge problem. The, the, the package that the Chancellor of the Exchequer came forward with recently really won't touch the surfaces. Mm-hmm. Not least for my constituents, but certainly not for yours, mm-hmm. the people that are off the grid. So I think that, you know, an independent Scotland, yes, you know, we all want to have that, that transition, that just transition away from reliance on fossil fuels. But it's also about making sure that the resources we've got at the moment mm. are, are, are kind of invested wisely. We've also got things like, for example, renewable energy. You know, we're doing magnificent work in terms of generating, you know, serious amounts, like 96, 97% of, of electricity practically from, from renewable sources. So I, I think the Scottish government is is keen to kind of yeah. move in that direction. But again, there are some of these issues that particularly renewables the use of government. It, it's interesting on that question of energy because Scotland overproduces in all its energy sources yeah. and exports and all its energy sources. I think you were pointing out quite rightly that we're we're pretty much near the equivalent of a hundred percent of our electricity production from renewables. And if we can, uh, you know, go further from that, which we will because of the the actions that have been taken by the Scottish government, particularly with the recent Scotland deal to license the offshore uh, things, which was quite revolutionary and breakthrough. Um, you know, if we could do more of that, then we can do that just transition a bit more yeah. uh, stably. But of course, we don't have all the powers to do that. It always comes back to the fact 
that, you know, the energy powers are, are still at Westminster. I, I want to get back to the costs for people, though, you know, and the the situation in the households. Jen, you're, you're a councillor. Have you had uh, people coming to you with concerns about what they're going to face over the next uh, couple of years uh, in terms of their household situation? It, yes, we do. Um, you know, I, I represent a ward, um, you know, that has high, you know, poverty, um, you know, and inequality, you know, and we're constantly, you know, trying to, to come up with solutions to, to try and address some of that. Um, you know, people are experiencing uh, high costs and, and their food that is only going to increase over the coming weeks and months. But I think what's really important for me is, you know, we have lots of food banks. We we have lots of organisations that have been helping people, particularly through the pandemic, mm -hmm. to try and provide that safety net. And my concern is that as we begin to see, you know, those those food prices rising, we'll have an increase in people going to food banks and really looking for for that safety net. And one of the other things that really um, concerns me as well is around about our organisations that support um, those very vulnerable citizens. They are also seeing the same increases um, in their their fuel costs um, and and you know and their their costs as well, which is then going to have a knock on impact in how many people mm. that they can support as well. So it, it's kind of in this this sort of you know circle of you know trying to how how do we break out of that um, you know and that again that's why we come back to to saying that you know. In our budget, specifically in Glasgow, we've been putting more money in to, to try and support those organisations um, so that they can then support those um, individuals and families that really need it the most. I think, I think there's also a point here, though, Drew, is that, you know, sometimes, you know, you and I kind of involved these corridors in, in Westminster every week, but you know, there's some, some Conservatives that seem to think that, you know, food banks are a sign of the big society, actually, mm -hmm. it's a sign of really bad policy. Mm -hmm. The idea that we're having to get, you know, local food banks and local charities ploughing in to provide what is the most basic state provision, that is to make sure that people have enough money to, to heat and eat. You know, you were asking Jen about it, it can cite these examples, even just on, on Monday before I left Glasgow for London, I had a constituent and literally in tears just at the thought of how she was going to be paying for energy bills from, yeah. from April onwards. Um, and I fear, I think this is a point that, that you'd made quite eloquently during the, the 10 minute rule bill, but for a lot of people, it's, it's going to move away from a choice between heating or eating to a choice about whether or not you can even afford the heating part mm -hmm. of it, mm -hmm. let alone, you know, cooking the food that you get from the food bank. So, you know, at the moment, the, the UK government, have you, just isn't coming enough, coming forward with enough. We have kind of ambitious and, and I, I, I think it's important to reflect on the causes of this situation, isn't it? Because yes, that you know, I referred to right at the beginning the fact that yes, there are global conditions. You can't take that out of the equation. Things would have been tougher anyway, but they're made tougher, aren't they? There's a range of things that have happened over the past couple of years, which, as Jen said, are political choices uh, that have happened. One of them, of course, being Brexit. Um, you know, the effect there. I cover international trade, and I've said it many times on this uh, podcast. We've seen a disastrous effect from uh, Brexit on, you know, the ability for companies to export. Now, companies exporting means that they're able to afford to employ employees that are allowed to pay, able to pay them more and so forth. So them being suffering from that is a, is a direct effect in taking money out of the economy, taking wealth out of the economy. I also refer to the um, the cut in universal credit, the national insurance rise. You know, there's a lot of these things that are clear political choices that are being made here at Westminster. It, what are your thoughts, Jen, about those those types of decisions being made with with you know your constituents, the, those people you've been telling the 
that are coming to you. What are your thoughts about the fact that that's happening without any uh, will from Scotland? Scotland voted against Brexit and we've got a Tory government and we neither, neither voted for nor uh, wanted. What are your feelings on that? I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, at the time having, having gone through the, the EU referendum and, you know, very proud of Scotland for, you know, voting, at, um, you know, voting to stay within the EU, that was absolutely the right choice. Um, but obviously being taken out um, against their will, um, we are now starting to see that full impact coming on here. Um, you know, there was a, a lot of, you know, rhetoric put out during that particular campaign um, of, you know, how it would save money um, and all this uh, uh, kind of thing. But I think... The food prices would be lower, wouldn't they? That was uh, one of the price. things they said. And and energy, <laughs> and specifically energy prices would be lower as well. You know, I, don't, I don't think you got the memo on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think, and, and you know, I, I, I even get the sense, um, you know, amongst people who had, who did vote for Brexit, that, mm -hmm. you know, if we were to rerun that again, that would be a very different result. Um, and, and you know, from people that I speak to on the doors, and, and I've been speaking to people on the doors a, a lot, and also to constituents, um, you know, and, and people who are, are in, you know, sort of academia and, and such like, and seeing that benefit of independence mm -hmm. more and more every day and how Scotland yeah. with its liberty powers it has been able to mitigate some of those policies but if we had the bill waivers and the full political choices then we would be in a very much different situation. Yeah I mean I think there's a couple of things to, to unpack there I mean firstly you, you, let's take the, the national insurance type I mean I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember <laughs> Brexit yeah. and, and a bus that said you know if you voted for Brexit you get 350 million pounds a week extra for the mm -hmm. NHS I some, but somehow find it a bit strange now that having voted for Brexit, we're now increasing national insurance by, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the, the, that, that level, um, which was essentially a kind of regressive yeah. hike at all. The impact that the youngest and lowest earners. There's other th contributing factors, and Brexit is a really good example of it, where, you know, you, you remove a lot of that labour from the economy. Um, so we, we now see things like, you know, the, the HGV driver mm. prices for 100,000 HGV drivers show mm. Um, we've got fruit rotten in, in fields in, in, in rural parts of the UK. And, and sh these shortages is important to point out. You know, if you can't get goods to the shops and the things that are in short supply, that pushes up prices as well. It, it does. It brings us back right to the inflation. So it pushes up prices, yep. but also it yep. means as well that, you know, the, 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 the staff that are doing these mm. jobs can command a significantly higher salary. And mm. if you're putting, you know, wages up quite mm. so significantly, that then leads into mm. an inflationary yeah. kind of cycle as well. So a lot of this is about economic mismanagement, but a lot of of it is you see through is actually about political decisions that have mm. been taken that are now I think coming home, the, home and, and, and that kind of UK self-harm that's been going on is just you know affecting people directly you know that this isn't something that that was unavoidable and and what, what we're also told during the Brexit process is that you know if the if you voted for Brexit then there would be the EU wouldn't be able to stop you reducing VAT for example on uh, on energy uh, on energy bills and of course what have we seen yeah. since the the Treasury started getting more money in because of the cost of energy yeah. risen they started getting more money in they're not willing to do anything with VAT they're not willing to reduce it at all I, I want to move on to you know talking about the uh, Scotland's view in terms of the, or the view of Scotland, I should say, in the, the wider world, given the, the growth of, uh, you know, soft power that the Scottish government's been engaging in. Um, this is a time when we're really thinking about international situations quite a lot. Um, where, where do you see um, Scotland's place in the world compared to the UK's place in the world in terms of treating people both 
people who live here, and we've just been talking about how we're treating them during the cost of living, or indeed people who uh, were living here or want to live here, um, and uh, indeed are facing uh, different challenges now, uh, or indeed the way that, uh, that, that the new kind of what they call global Britain is projecting us. What are the differences between Scotland and the rest of the UK now? How how sharp are they? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, global Britain is a, is a catchphrase and, you know, I literally just spent this afternoon writing, writing a speech that I'm doing in Westminster Hall later on. Um, I mean, global Britain's at a catchphrase, but, I, you know, we've been about talking about global Britain, but you know, we've actually got poverty Britain, we've got, we've got literally, you know, 600,000 people more uh, using food banks in the last year compared to the previous one. Um, so, so yeah, the UK government will come up with these cash phrases, but it, as far as I can see, you know, the UK has has exited the European Union, you know, an act of huge economic self-harm, leaving that train block of yeah. 500 million people to go around and do what is, with respect, pretty kind of small BR tiddly trade deals mm -hmm. um, that, that will nowhere near make up for, for the costs of Brexit. In fact, it could cost money, like, oh, such as the New Zealand one. Yeah, could actually it, it, cost. And, you know, I, I would certainly question, you know, why it is in, in terms of air miles, why we're flying, you know, lambing from New Zealand, we could be perfectly plenty of it from your own constituency. Um, but there's also some other stuff as well about, you know, our, our approach to, for example, refugees. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going through this, this awful period just now where we're looking at what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. Everywhere else in the European Union is looking at what can we do to try and help these people that are fleeing a war. Yeah, we've got UK government ministers saying to folk, oh, well, you can come here and actually you can help us out with our seasonal worker problem because we've shot ourselves the foot with Brexit. Yeah. So, you know, the, the way that Scotland behaves, that want to be a kind of outward-looking European country, is, is compare that to Britain, which is obsessed with migration um, to the extent that it's actually almost hypocritical because Brexit for them was about, you know, taking back control of immigration. But actually, one of the first things they're going to have to do is to get a free trade agreement with, for example, India. It's offered probably 100,000 extra yeah. So it, it is completely cyclical. It's, it's, it's short-sighted politics. Whereas we in Scotland, you know, we want to go out there, we want to trade, we want to be able to, to welcome people to this mm -hmm. country because for Scotland, immigration has never been a problem. It's been immigration and, and you see that fine with yeah. Ireland, for example. And Jay, what's your view of the, the kind of uh, situation between Scotland and the, and the UK in terms of the global uh, position? Well, uh, you know, I'm glad that David, you know, mentioned immigration policy because that, you know, it's one key that, you know, difference, I think, you know, particularly just now, you know, with, with the current situation that's going on where, where there is that difference in leadership. But, you know, one of the things that I was reflecting on, you know, when, when I've been uh, thinking about this is if you have a look at the success that we had at Clock 26, for example, um, you saw Boris Johnson sitting there half asleep, um, whereas, you know, Nicola Sturgeon was out there meeting world leaders you know, talking to them about independence, you know, really putting forward the case for for Scotland, but also talking about all of our, our excellent, you know, social policy, you know, stuff that we really lead on, hmm. or policy we really lead on, not stuff rather. And it's about providing that credible uh, leadership so that we are a fair and inclusive society. And I think that's where the key difference is. We, we are positive. We really want to, you know, make our mark and, and be, involved in you know in the, the that global that global setting and for me that was a a huge success um in terms of that difference between the way the uk government behaves and where our scottish government behaves. i mean i think one other example that i think jed's absolutely right in cop 26 is a, a really great example of that soft power that was projected as scottish government bear in mind the scottish government doesn't have responsibility for foreign affairs but already you know even on issues where we don't necessarily have the powers 
we're already in that space trying to do things to show what kind of, you know, world player Scotland would be at the top table. I'll give you just one example. Let's look at international development. The UK had this commitment, a very commendable commitment to spend 0.7% of GNI on international development. And one of the first things during the pandemic because of populist politics, probably for Boris Johnson, was to, to whip that away. You whip it away you know, significant amounts of money for the world's poorest people. The Scottish government doesn't have control over international development, but still funds projects, for example, in Malawi. So it's, it's that strong social conscience that doesn't just stop the cold stream. You know, it's, it's a world view that we've got and, and we want Scotland to be able to get out there, play its part in the world. And at the moment, we're being hampered by that an intransigent Westminster government that's just so focused and inward looking on itself. Indeed, indeed. and we could do so much more. I mean, so many of these things you're talking about kind of uh, underline the UK government's obsession with short-termism and uh, approaches to crisis, is, you know, which we see you, you were referring to the, uh, the the EU and the response to, for example, the humanitarian crisis and taking in refugees. All 27 countries saying, yes, we'll waive rules for three years, uh, visa rules, so that people can get safe haven. And you pointed out uh, you know, people get back to the, 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 the cost of living. There's another good example of that short termism just now with the chancellor's, uh, uh, you know, buy now or payday loan, um, isn't it? That he's offering to help, uh, for people with their energy prices, you, a 200 pound, uh, loan. So you, which you can't take, you know, opt out of it's, yeah. it's going to come to you and you have to pay it back over uh, two years. You know, that, that what, what kind of signal do you think that sends to people in terms of the support that they, they should be getting? Jen, what, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know what's on that. I mean, I, I just, I, I, you know, just sort of beggar's belief that, you know, um, this is a situation that's been, been caused by the UK government, and yet what mm. they want is, more people to put themselves in, you know, into more debt, um, uh, so that you know they don't actually have to put any effort into developing, you know, policy uh, and legislation that actually protects people and protects their well-being. You know, it, it's a bit of a, a sort of lazy politics um, in a way. You know, it's not taking any any thought about how they will protect anybody and provide that safety net. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the other issue as well is that I mean, some of this is just symptomatic of you know a chance of the exchequer who's uh you know probably think that the richest MP in Parliament. Now. I don't think he's probably worrying about you know when the the next bill from Yon comes into the the inbox or the letterbox. Um, but I mean, one of the things that, that we've been arguing for is you know a, a low income you know payment to to families to help them with their energy bills. Many of my constituents you know they don't have the money now, and frankly they're not going to have the money in two years' time. Um, so, so this almost kind of like Wonga-like approach that the government's having in terms of, you know, almost like a payday loan to, yeah. to try and pay your energy bill. But also, I mean, I think, I think it's what, a couple of hundred quid? I mean, we yeah, but actually yeah. expect... It's not very touch side. But, that, but bills are going to be up by about six or hundred pounds. And that, that was frankly before what we saw with the, 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 the yeah. conflict. Um, so I, I think, you know, all those kind of projections and inflation are, are going to have to be looked at again. There's also the issue as well, frankly, that later on this year, you can see the cap. Mm -hmm. raised again in September. Yeah. So the UK government has to move away from these, these short-term policies um, and actually come forward with longer-term solutions because the problem is that when you come forward with these short-term policies uh, and you whip away that support mm -hmm. too quickly, as we saw, for example, with the furlough scheme, the £20 we catch up a universal credit, you whip away that stuff far too quickly, you end up only having to go back and mm -hmm. fix it again, which I love short-term yeah. fix. So some, some of the stuff that we've been speaking about, whether that's reduction in, in, in VAT on energy, 
whether it's the Deloitte company, I mean, that stuff that could really kind of tangibly yeah. help people. But you government to what, in the next. What, this podcast is obviously about Scotland's choices, about the differences between Westminster and what Scotland would do uh, with it. We see at Westminster that money can be found for bankers and fraudulent COVID contracts in the billions, mm -hmm. uh, billions of pounds, but not to subsidise energy bills. In the, the the Scottish Parliament, you've got a Scottish government, but you know we talked earlier about the universal credit uh, cut of twenty pounds a week, bringing in a twenty pounds a week child payment, um, and and a range of other uh, supports for people uh, in their houses. Doing all this mitigation, we've got things like the bedroom tax and so forth. Do you, do you feel it's a frustration that we're having to do all this mitigation, where if we just had the power? If we had the, the powers of independence or even the powers of our social security, we could do so much more for people to, to help them out. Well, I mean, so, so the, the um, special rapporteur um, had, had, had made this point specifically about, you know, mitigation comes at a cost. So we, we spent somewhere between 60 and 80 million pounds a year mitigating bedroom mm -hmm. tax through the selection of the housing payments for, for local authorities. Now that's 60 to 80 million pounds that we don't have to then spend to the NHS. I've just come from a catch up with cancer mm -hmm. event. So that's money that we can put into to support people who are moving through a cancer diagnosis. Likewise, you know, my, my colleagues in local government could always do with more money in terms of, you know, fixing bottles and stuff like that. But in the moment, we are spending far too much of our money trying to mitigate bad welfare policy that comes from Westminster. Mm -hmm. and, and, and on that very point of Scotland's choice, that that, that choice that people have is, do, what does devolution mean to you? Is devolution about making sure that you can invest in things like education, health, justice, transport? Or is it increasingly about spending money, for example, doubling the Scottish child payment, which is essentially nullifying to put that £20 yeah. cup to yeah. so good? Yeah. And Jen, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Do you find that a particular frustration? Uh, I find it a huge uh, frustration, you know, particularly for, for constituents and, and when we're trying to do, you know, uh, work at a local government level, um, you know, to, you know, looking at, you know, how do we, we empower more more communities and things. Um, I mean, we, we've done a lot of work in terms of Glasgow City Council in, you know, trying to support families. Um, and, and it is a huge frustration to us. So, I mean, one of the things that we had brought in very, very early on in our term was um, around our holiday activity program, where we set aside two billion pounds um, and that was to be able to feed school kids um, during the, the term, to, uh, term time. Now, it, again, it's coming back to that. That's a political choice we made. That's something that we wanted to do to be able to help uh, families and children but this is a direct result of, you know, all of the UK austerity policies that we are having to mitigate against. Mm -hmm. And this, this is the issue here is that, you know, that's Glasgow City Council and the, the, the holiday activity programmes are a really good example of that. that that's £2 million pounds that could be spent on, for example, more teachers, lower class sizes. But we're in a situation where a local, local authority is essentially having to feed people during the, the summer holidays because the UK government can't get its act together and make sure that people get a fair day's work, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, or indeed they'll get adequate levels of social security. My thing is that lo local authorities shouldn't be having to step in mm -hmm. and, and feed children lunches during the school holidays. That, that is not the job of local authorities. That is the job of, you know, the UK government to make sure that we have an economy that works for people. And if the UK government aren't willing to take those decisions, then Scotland has that choice to become an independent country. And I'm increasingly confident that people post-2014 are looking at it very differently. Now. Well, if we, we're not going to uh, talk about um, the fact that we were forced into Brexit much more. We've, we've covered that already in this podcast. But what, what Brexit has led to is 
a, a real impact on imports from the EU. You know, food and drink imports from the EU are down 15% um, just now. We, we import about 80% of our food ingredients. Uh, so there is a situation just now where the UK government have got more choices that they should be uh, taking advantage of, but they're not. Uh, there's a real impact, isn't there, on food prices just now? Because, uh, you know, we've seen uh, from campaigners have been pointing out that food and price inflation hits those who are poorest uh, the most. So we've seen, for example, 141% increase in the cost of pasta, 344% in the cost of rice, canned spaghetti, 170%. This, this is all caused by red tape. Um, and we, we simply wouldn't have that red tape uh, situation if we'd remained in the, the EU, which Scotland wanted uh, to do. What influence can we have on the UK government now, David, in getting them to deal with this issue? What do you, how confident are you that they're willing to deal with this? Well, I mean, you, you and I can stand up in the House of Commons and make speeches about this until our you know, yeah. blue in the face and we can, we can refer to, yeah. for example, Jack Monroe and the excellent work that, that, that yeah. she's been doing to, to try and highlight yeah. some of this. Um, but, I mean, fundamentally, it comes back to these decisions about what, what, what kind of trading nation do we want to be? Mm -hmm. um, do you want to go down that kind of protectionist, you know, insular route that the UK government went with with Brexit? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to just admit that, you know, we are an island nation, we are going to have to import quite a lot of stuff? The problem is that for many of my constituents, things like, you, you know, your, your pasta or your rice going up by 141, mm -hmm. 300%. Yeah. That, that has a, a real impact on them because for most of my constituents, they're, they're living frankly month to month, hand to mouth. And yes, the, the chances of which check up probably wouldn't even be able to tell you how much a, a bag of pasta actually costs. But for many of my constituents, now they're having to think, right, how can I make that bag of rice last a bit longer? And that frankly means putting less, you know, mm -hmm. on their plate. Mm -hmm. You know, less food in your plate means, you know, less, less food in your tummy. And for small kids, that means... You know, less ability to so class. Difficult. So these things have a, a long term yeah. effect. And that's why school meals are so important now, Jen, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, it, it's not just though, you know, I mean, we, we've been talking about the Scottish government having to take action to mitigate uh, cuts, but it's not just about that. Some really progressive policies that were taken forward in Scotland, aren't there, Jen? You know, I mean, you, you were talking about things that you're doing in, in uh, Glasgow there, but, you know, if you look at, you know, things like the, the, the under 22s, free bus travel, the baby box, um, you know, free prescriptions, uh, cheaper council tax, uh, school uniform grant, you know, we, the, those are really important free school meals. But there's also things like the Best Start grant, free dentistry, the early learning payment. I mean, I, I could go on, and the, there is a lot more I could go on, free eye tests. You could go over the big list uh, of things there that we're doing for people. That is what a, a progressive society should be doing for people, should be looking at, you know, this kind of universal ability uh, to access these things, isn't it, Jen? Yeah, no, I I one hundred percent agree. And or in all of those that, that you're friends of, to I mean that is a that is the the demonstration of a, a progressive society, uh, and, and one that you know it has been built into you know the, the SNP's manifesto, our program for government, and something that we we continue to um, we we continue to to implement, and we will always look for ways to to bring in those new policies. And I think that makes us a world leader. Um, in terms of some of those social policies in which we see, um, you know, other other countries uh, also following suit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think only with independence can we achieve that, those full, uh, you know, levers uh, and political choices um, without having the UK government on our backs.
that and all this is with one hand tight behind their back, isn't it? They're, yeah, it is. And yeah. It's, I mean, it's fundamentally comes down to the, the kind of social contract that exists between citizens and the mm-hmm. government. So, for example, we invest in things like, you know, free tuition because we believe that education should be based on your ability to learn, not your ability to pay. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I do find myself kind of wincing a little bit when we talk about, you know, free tuition and free prescriptions. All of this is paid for by our taxes. Mm-hmm. But that is because we as a society, that is because we as a country and indeed a government, have decided that in order to have good public services, we will resource that. And we know that when you've got, you know, that that investment in, for example, your education system, the outcomes are a hell of a lot better. And you're not looking at, you know, university students having to say, well, look, I, I can't afford 40, 60,000 pounds worth of debt. So a lot of this comes back to that social contract that exists between the Scottish government and the people who have done as the, the immense pride of, of, of living and working and settling in our country. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, a lot of this, we are doing things with one hand tied behind our back. Um, so, yeah, take, for example, education policy. We've got that, that free tuition that's in place. Um, but then there's, there's all the stuff around post-study work visas where we've got people that yeah. are no longer able to come here. Um, so, you know, if we had control over things like immigration, we could have a, a much broader suite of, of policy options available to us. But that is not a choice. And this mm-hmm. is, the podcast is specifically about Scottish <laughs> choice. Yeah. That's not a choice that exists yeah. at the moment under this broken Westminster system. Indeed. It, it, and the, the, there are there are other uh, challenges ahead, aren't we? The world economy has reached a point where it's the most imbalanced that it probably ever has been in terms of certainly in modern times between the rich and poor. Over fifty percent of the world's wealth is held by just one percent of individuals. I mean, that's something uh, that's going. To, if things continue as they are, particularly under the direction of Westminster, we've seen that becoming worse. Then it's only going to get worse for people. Uh, where we, 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 what we've been talking about is that we could have a more progressive approach. Back in 2014, uh, you know, there were arguments that were being made there by the No campaign. As I said, referred to some of the promises that were made over Brexit. We were told that we'd be, uh, we'd remain, in, you know, if we voted yes, we'd be kicked out of the EU, for example. There's a whole list of things that we could go through and we've Trapping covered them. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, we, we, elections, double law, all, all, all of these things have since gone. How have the arguments over, you know, the, the, the big arguments of the day were, you've just mentioned pensions there, and you, you know, the big arguments were, you know, things like the currency and the borders. Do you think these arguments still hold the same resonance today or have they changed? I mean, I think certainly people are, uh, you know, they're interested in them. I, I mean, I remember, let's, let's take the currency issue, for example. I remember being in the campaign and in the, the Lillibank area of my constituency in Deacon Jen's wards uh, mm-hmm. in 2014. Uh, and it was perceived at the time that the currency was, was a really weak issue for, for, for the US campaign. And it wasn't really pressing the fletch with, with one of the ladies in the doorstep. And I was like, I don't know what you made about the currency stuff. And she said to me, do you know what, son? I don't have any currency in my pocket at the moment at all. I don't care whose head's on the coin. And, <laughs> and for her, she understood that independence is, is about, you know, having the ability to have, you know, complete free reign and control over your own economy, which we don't have at the moment. So, so yeah, I think things like currency, the border and stuff, are, you know, really, really important. And I think there's a, there's a lot more that the Scottish government are doing to engage people in conversation about that. Um, but I think when you outline that much broader picture of what kind of society that you want to have invest in public services, that's the thing that people are really focused on. Um, but yeah, we're, we're absolutely alive to the fact that people might have concerns over the currency, the border, pensions, but we have a plan for that mm-hmm. in the same way that every other country that's become independent has had a plan. So that, that's the basis. It, it, and Jen, do you, th- do you feel that's the, the same for you? Yeah, I feel that's like, that's absolutely the same. I mean, we, you know, going on the doorsteps, it's not something that you're often asked about, um, about the currency. You will get some people that will talk to you about immigration policy, 
um, but that might be that they're from um, the, the other side of the argument and they support the UK government. But as David is saying, um, for most people, it's about what's going on in their lives and their local communities that impact them the most. Um, and it's not usually these these bigger sort of economic arguments. They just want to be able to feed their children, send them to a good school, you know, get education, and you know, and and be able to you know have a you know be able to put food on the table. So those are some of the key issues. And I think with those social policies that the SNP have brought through, have really made such a difference to so many people. Um, and that's why I think we are seeing, you know, so much more support um, and so much more readiness uh, for people to make that choice to independence. So, Jen, look into the future um, in an independent Scotland. We'll have a vote. Um, I believe that people will vote yes in that vote. Um, if you could implement one policy or, or, or to change a policy that we currently can't change, uh, what, would, what would you like to see into the future? Well, one of the, the number one, and, it, and it's key on my mind, and we have mentioned uh, this already, but this is immigration policy. You know, I just feel that this, it, it's an absolutely, it's a disgraceful policy. It's a disgraceful way to treat people. That's not the way that we should be, you know, having a fair and inclusive society. Um, you know, the fact that asylum seekers don't, you know, have the right to work at the moment. They have to go mm. through this horrific asylum system. Um, you know, the accommodation and, you know, have been, been quite heavily involved um, in Glasgow and asylum dispersal. We've seen the direct impact on people's health and well-being of these policies. Now, we can only mitigate so far on that as well. You know, we, our hands are tied as a local authority. Accommodation goes to private contractors. Um, you know, and, and they are interested in the bottom line, which is, you know, the, the profit margins. So that is one policy that I would really love to see um, in the hands of an independent Scotland. And, and for you, David, what would be the policy you'd want to see? I mean, it's one of the ones that I work on regularly, Drew, uh, in the Department of Work and Pensions brief, uh, and that's on statutory sick pay. I never again want to be in a situation where I am actively speaking to people on the phone who said, look, son, um, I have tested positive for COVID, but I can't, you know, I can't afford to, to take time off work. Yeah. Um, the idea that people were, were putting other folk at risk uh, during the height of a pandemic absolutely you know, highlights just how broken the statutory sick pay system is. And, and you can look, for example, the, well, the, some of the Scandinavian countries, whether it's Germany, pretty much everybody else in Europe has a much more generous level of, of statutory sick pay that we cannot ever again end up in a situation where people are being forced between, you know, appearing to public health of trying to think about what's in their wallet. That, that is just not the way you do things. And unfortunately, for so long as we're part of this broken union, statutory sick pay will remain a, a policy that is under the control of the UK government and I'm afraid that an intransigent policy in which they have no intentions of reforming. And on that note, I think we'll leave it there. Councillor Jed Linden and David, uh, sorry, Councillor uh, Jed Layden and David Linden, MP, thank you very much for joining me on this Scotland's Choice podcast. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> Thank you, Drew, and I think you all have me married off to my <laughs> Thanks for listening to Scotland's Choice. You can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot and you can watch the full-length videos on YouTube. If you can share this podcast and our videos, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.